Hyde Park United Methodist in Tampa, Florida, this is The Bible Project 2020, a journey to reading the Bible without fear or frustration. I'm your host, Matt Hotho. This week's episode is a conversation between myself and Dr. Michael Chan, Assistant Professor of Old Testament at Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota. Michael's research interests are broad and extensive, iconography, biblical Hebrew, apocryphal literature, and the prophets. Michael co-authored the book, Exploring the Bible, and host the podcast, Gospel Beautiful. Michael and I discussed the book of Jeremiah, its historical context, themes, and how the troubling words of the prophet resonate with justice issues in the present day. Just to kind of start off, can you tell us a little bit about Jeremiah the prophet and then this book that we have in our text that is Jeremiah, called Jeremiah, um, what's the historical context going on there? Yeah, this is a this is a great question. So um, maybe let me just start with painting a really broad stroke picture of Israelite history, so mm-hmm. just people have some kind of sense. So the monarchic material, because sort of we think about uh, Saul and David and Solomon, this is all happening in sort of the the 10th century BCE. It's kind of the establishment of the Israelite monarchy. At some point prior to that, um, it, Israel emerges as this kind of distinct uh, uh, this distinct entity within the Promised Land. How that happens is a is up for sort of debate but um where jeremiah fits is several hundred years into the future in uh in particular in the 7th and 6th century so roughly 640 the 640s something like that um and then he dies sometime after 587 after the um uh, the destruction of jerusalem by the babylonians we don't know when he dies we know where he dies he dies in egypt um, but uh, this particular moment that's sometimes called the Babylonian exile is really th- the major inflection point within um, within Israelite and especially Judahite, I mean, southern king- the southern kingdom's history. And it's, it's a moment when um, the Babylonians, who are uh, a power that kind of inhabited what we would call modern-day Iraq, mm-hmm. they um, – uh, uh, they made some incursions, uh, westward incursions, uh, which ultimately resulted uh, uh, Judah, the southern kingdom, becoming a tributary. Um, a rebellion occurred, and Babylon actually ends up overthrowing and and destroying much of Jerusalem, including you know significant institutions like the temple and the palace. Both, at least from the Old Testament's perspective, are kind of promise bearing institutions. Mm. Um, you know, God makes promises to David. God makes promises about the temple, and that's sort of where how and where God is present in special ways. Um, But those institutions are destroyed and Jeremiah kind of, his life straddles that uh, traumatic set of events that lead up to it. And he both kind of foresees or looks kind of, yeah, foresees these events and then also lives through them and after them. So he's, Jeremiah really is a prophet of crisis. Mm -hmm. He both kind of foresees a crisis on the horizon. He lives through it himself. And then he continues to minister in the aftermath. So when we then think about the book in kind of that historical context, we know where he's at, what he's dealing with. Does the text follow that chronology or? No, it really doesn't. No, it's not set up quite that. Most of the prophetic texts don't. Really, Ezekiel's one exception, one exce- one interesting exception. It doesn't really follow a kind of a, a chronological structure. It is interesting if you were to compare the um, 
the Masoretic text, which is like the Hebrew text on which most of our English Bibles are based, with the Septuagint, which is a uh, Greek translation of some form of Hebrew, the the ordering of the chapters is actually different in uh, Jeremiah. In, in some, yeah, in, okay. in in Jeremiah, and so the the, the precise kind of um, theory behind how how Jeremiah is structured or why it's structured that way isn't entirely clear, but it is definitely not a kind of neat uh, a neat and tidy chronology. Okay. So a person shouldn't expect to pick up Jeremiah and read chapter one, which is kind of his call, and then end up in chapter 52 with kind of this in a biographical sort of way, as if you're reading somebody's life story. Right. As if you're reading like Exodus way. through Deuteronomy, where you're like, okay, right. we get Moses and he dies. That's not what we're getting here. It's better to think about Jeremiah as, as a kind of library of mm. Jeremiah, of literature that it is both by Jeremiah, but then also about Jeremiah. Um, so you earlier in the conversation kind of made a distinction between Jeremiah as a person and Jeremiah as a book. And yeah. that's a helpful distinction to make. Okay, Jeremiah was such a powerful book, you know, in part because I think it, it seems to gain power in the in the time after this uh, big Babylonian disaster, in part because p- I think people looked at it and said, "Hey, look, that actually happened." <laughs> right, right, right. right. <laughs> like he was right. He was right about this. And so you have people like like the Book of Daniel, or you have scribes uh, in the Book of Daniel who are actually reading Jeremiah, and in particular his what's called his seventy years prophecy. Jeremiah kind of prophesies that this uh, exilic experience will end in seventy years, and people are studying this text. And I think part of the reason they're studying his words so carefully. He's not, Daniel's not the only place you'll find it. But the reason they're studying these words so carefully is because they recognize that Jeremiah is quote unquote, a true prophet. Mm. Uh, What he said about the Babylonians came true. So, okay, gotcha. So in the reception history then of this text, kind of how it's been, not in our reception history of it, but in the literal, like within a hundred years or so reception history of it, it was being used by ancient people being read and going, okay, what he prophesied came true. And then is that why there are some additions to it or some, why the text kind of takes on some different layers? So, yeah, it's important to remember that Jeremiah, the person and Jeremiah, the book are different things. And Jeremiah, it, it's, there seems to be a lot of material in Jeremiah that was kind of added um, at a later time. And it, it's also keep in mind that Jeremiah has a scribe that's doing, seems to be doing a lot of this writing. His name is Baruch. And he's mentioned throughout the book. In fact, this may be one of the books that gives us the most kind of insight into mm. uh, how scribes and prophets may have worked together. It, it's at least the pl- one of the places where you see that relationship most clearly kind of put into the foreground. So um, it, it's it's likely and uh, that uh, Jeremiah's material was picked up by later scribes and then reworked. And we uh, the way I think the religious people should see this, this isn't like – this isn't like watering down Jeremiah's words. I think it's actually the opposite. It's a way of showing that Jeremiah's words were so powerful that later generations found it important not only to preserve, but also in some ways to kind of make those words continue to sing again. So you think about like what happens in preaching, right? Like we take this ancient text and then we try to preach it in such a way that people can hear uh, words uh, of grace and sometimes also of judgment. Yeah. And that's not in a way saying that that, ancient text in and of itself wasn't complete as it was received. It's just that we're trying to add more to it. Yeah. For Mm -hmm. our comment, for our, for our modern time, for our context. Yeah. So then as we think about the things that Jeremiah was prophesying, um, what were his chief concerns? 
Yeah, so I think it's important to recognize that Jeremiah is part of a theological pedigree, like he's part of a, um, mm. a theological genealogy that is, is very closely related to the book of Deuteronomy. Jeremiah's theology, his way of thinking about how God is at work in the world is deep, seems to be deeply influenced by Deuteronomy. Keep in mind that, that Jeremiah lived in the time of Josiah. Um, and, and Josiah's, uh, kind of reforms, however we want to think about those, uh, seem, seem to be closely connected to Deuteronomy. You remember the story, Josiah, right? The, 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 they discover the kind of hidden scroll and, and, and this scroll seems to be some form of Deuteronomy or reflects Deuteronomy somehow. In second and Kings, enacts, right? Yeah, you're right in second Kings. Yeah. And he enacts all these reforms according to this book. Jeremiah is living at the same time. And, and, okay. and now Josiah doesn't play a major role in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, but chronologically, they're very proximate to one another. And so all that just to say that Jeremiah is really influenced by Deuteronomy and Deuteronomy in turn has this deep, has this deep concern uh, for faithfulness to God, faithfulness to the first commandment, you, a person might say. So I would say Jeremiah, one of Jeremiah's chief concerns is faithfulness to this God. You know, he identifies different forms of foreign worship and Jeremiah, like uh, Hosea, will kind of frame unfaithfulness in terms of the marital relationship right from the beginning if you were to if we were to go to chapter two we would see this already uh, already queued up and and so anyways that is a chief concern for Jeremiah but then I was thinking in prep this morning if you if you go to chapter seven but this is one of uh, kind of Jeremiah's famous uh, famous temple sermons and he will kind of go through and list I think seven out of ten commandments that are broken. <laughs> By, by the people. And so Jeremiah has a lot of concerns about the breaking of the commandment. I would say his chief most concern is um, faithlessness to Yahweh. Kind mm -hmm. of, and, and, and I don't even, that language feels too abstract. It's really about um, a betrayal. Yeah. That's the right word. It's about betrayal. So, so that's one concern is kind of the theological concern. He's also, you know, Jeremiah really comes off as almost like a foreign policy advisor as well. Um, there were forces, you know, uh, Babylon initially comes in, there are multiple kind of incursions, uh, in, um, into Judah's territory by the Babylonians. Uh, the first of which actually secures Judah as a tribute state. So Judah's, mm -hmm. you know, giving goods and whatever to feed the imperial beast. People started to wonder whether it would be time to rebel and sort of throw off the yoke of Babylon, as it were. And Jeremiah says, no, you should not do that. This will actually invite our own destruction. And so um, Jeremiah kind of uh, almost, almost proposes like a, a, a policy of appeasement or a policy of just peace with the empire. Uh, for the sake of survival. Mm -hmm. And he is thereby, you know, for that reason, kind of labeled a traitor and, and whatnot, because he has a kind of pro-Babylonian. Really, I wouldn't say it's pro-Babylonian. I would say he's he's acting shrewdly in the interest of survival. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Pro-self-maintenance, like. Yeah, right. But you can imagine, like, uh, for those of us who lived through the Cold War, or at least part of it, mm -hmm. it would almost be like somebody, you know, getting onto some news uh, site and saying, hey, look, what we need to do is just surrender to the Russians or to, you know, to the Soviets. Everybody would hate that person. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> right. Michael, I wanted to ask you if you have any other things that you want to point out to us kind of in this first half of Jeremiah, kind of up through maybe chapter 25, if there's any passages or spots that as we're reading this week might be interesting to you yeah. know, sit with. Um, 
I, I maybe a couple other points about two other themes that I think are important. Sure. One is um, if you read Jeremiah seven and then also eleven, you will you'll see Jeremiah there, kind of in arguing with some of the people of his time about the temple of the Lord. And there's this dispute happening. It's really kind of a theological dispute about whether God is going to protect this city because this city is where God's temple is. So you have mm-hmm. kind of a group of people who are uh, saying, hey, look, God has saved the city in the past from previous foreign rulers, the most notable example being Sennacherib in 701. You can read about this in, in Isaiah 36 through 37, um, where uh, Sennacherib comes to the city and is going to lay siege to it and conquer it. But you know, the story says God kind of miraculously saves it. And we do know, at least from the Assyrian sources, that the, the, the city isn't destroyed. And, and Sennacherib says, well, he, you know, he locked up, he locked the king up like a bird in a cage. He didn't conquer the city, but at least he kind of laid siege to it. Um, and, and so there's this kind of history of God delivering the city. Jeremiah is saying, yes, God can deliver the city, but God can also judge it. And so you shouldn't have false hope that just because God has saved the city in the past, that God will save it now. And so there was this kind of sense of security, a false sense of security that was really fed by um in both history and also even the Psalms talk about, like the, the Psalms of Zion, Psalm 46 and 48 as examples, talk about how God will deliver the city. So in some ways, Jeremiah is, it's a kind of scripture against scripture sort mm. of argument where you have some people saying, hey, look, you know, our Psalms and, and our history say that God protects the city. But Jeremiah is saying, look, that protection is contingent upon your obedience to the commandments. Mm-hmm. So, um that's okay. an interesting point is that yeah. Jeremiah is often in conflict with people about some theological issues. And then maybe the last point I want to make is, is just that Jeremiah is not only a prophet of doom and repentance, he's also a prophet of hope. Okay. And so, and this, most of this come, you know, basically what Jeremiah is saying is that look like destruction. He finally concludes, you know, th- this is the definitive thing. It's too late. We're going over the waterfall. We can't avoid it. We will be destroyed. But because God is faithful, God promises that on the other end of that destruction, there will be a new life. Um, and so you'll see a lot of this like in Jeremiah's epistle in the 29th chapter, which he writes to these exilic leaders. We know it best from 2911, right? For I know the plans that I have for you to do. But that it comes from a letter, literally, that Jeremiah seems to send to these leaders where he's like, hey, look stay and settle in this land, this in Babylon, pray for the welfare of the city, all of that stuff. One day God will bring us back, but it's going to take some time. Right, right, right. <laughs> a lot of time. <laughs> That's really interesting how we kind of backed our way into that familiar verse, you know, that we all we all just will, are quick to pull right out, that it's not until we understand all the themes of Jeremiah and kind of what he's getting into, and then we get we understand this is actually not just sitting there. It's a letter that he's writing. This is maybe one of my favorite chapters. Um, and I'll just read a couple verses from Please. the beginning. It says, this is the text of the letter, which the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the priests, the prophets, and the rest of the elders of the exile community and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had exiled, etc." So it's interesting to note mm. that the letter kind of singles out the priests and the prophets and these other elders, these are the same people that uh, persecute him. These are the same people that oppose him and that did, in some cases, bodily harm uh, uh, to him. And Jeremiah um, 
in his calling to be a prophet that both tears down and builds up, continues to reach out, even in this very compassionate letter, to these people that were once his opponents. And so I think it's actually a very, very powerful letter and shows Jeremiah just kind of the commitment of Jeremiah to doing both sides of this call, both the tearing down and the building up. I thought we could talk about that idea of crisis and hope and how they're kind of not necessarily two sides of the same coin. I don't think that metaphor necessarily works here, but they're, they're two ideas that are oftentimes in orbit with each other. And, uh, and they kind of share a, a gravitational pull and maybe how we see that play out in Jeremiah. I was just texting with somebody on Messenger the other day about our current moments. I live in uh, near the Twin Cities and, and George Floyd, I'm sure many of you know yeah. about his his killing and the uh, the kind of uproar and, and societal discord that has resulted, uh, and not only from his, but from others. And in, in many ways, I look upon this moment and say, this is no better time. There's no better time to read these texts of judgment, because part of what these texts of judgment are saying is that, hey, look, you're, you may be able to sin today and avoid the consequences today, but there will come a time when when those seeds of bloodshed and of injustice and whatever unfaithfulness will uh, come to harvest. You know, they they will actually grow and they will break through the ground and, and you will see them. In many ways, the moment that we're experiencing right now is a kind of day of the Lord moment mm. when I think our sins are coming uh home to roost, uh, as it were, all different ways of talking about this. But uh, we're in a moment of judgment when our sins are, when the sins that we thought we could forget about are now washing back up on our shores. And and so um, part of what is important about Jeremiah is that he is also drawing attention to the fact that the, 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 that the sins, the debts have come due, right? Like there is going to be a reckoning for all of the misbehavior and mistreatment of the neighbor. Those things can't simply be set aside. And you may, you, you're, uh, you may feel comfortable, but that does not mean that you are safe. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so, um, it, so Jeremiah has that kind of vision of judgment. I think it's very easy. There, I think there are numerous ways in which we can see kind of judgment at work in our own society right now where we have allowed things to exist in our world and in our discourse that are actually profoundly destructive to us. Yeah. Um, and unjust. With that, and, yeah, right. And unjust. No, absolutely. And with that said, you know, for Jeremiah, uh, the word of judgment is always followed by a word of salvation. So God is committed to God's people. God is is going to be there, as I said earlier, to pick up the pieces on the other side of judgment. Now, is that going to be a painful process? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Kathleen O'Connor has written a great book on Jeremiah called Jeremiah, Pain and Promise. And she's trying there to deal with Jeremiah as kind of trauma literature Basically thinking about it as as a, as a book that's trying to respond to a traumatic event, and so she talks about the importance of how how Jeremiah is trying to get people to take responsibility. Like, hey, this disaster is in part a disaster of our own making. Mm-hmm. Right. Nebuchadnezzar may have gone overboard in some ways, but at its heart, we invited this destruction into our own household. Yeah. And so what would it look like in our current moment to say, how have we invited the current disaster into our own house? 
how have we somehow been responsible for opening that door? That would be that would be some that would be a question to ask that is in the Jeremionic spirit. I think. Mm-hmm. Good. Is there anything else you want to say or anything? Read no. Jeremiah. Read it, and it's. I would just say that if you've never read Jeremiah before, be yeah. very patient with yourself and okay. and with the text because it is very difficult. Any kind of Hebrew poetry is hard. Jeremiah is especially hard. There are texts in there that may be disturbing to people. They may read them and say, ugh, that really turns my stomach. And that's okay. That's part of, of the process of reading these cross-cultural texts is that like these, these are not 21st century American texts, right? You're, you're entering into another culture. And so be prepared for that kind of shock. But I encourage people to read the book, maybe read it alongside it. You, you have a study Bible, mm-hmm. I think, Matt, that, um, uh, that you, you know, you and your pastors can recommend, but th- that will just be helpful as people try to navigate this difficult book. Okay. Yeah. I, I like kind of what you said about how, when you read the, when you read the poetry, there's going to be things in there that, that bother you that are, that are disruptive. Um, yeah. Just kind of tying it back to our modern day experience as I'm kind of following more of the black lives <clears throat> movement and hearing, just listening to the stories of my friends who, who just hearing the traumas that they've gone through as African-American and black people of color. Um, that, that I had no idea, you know, and I'm listening to them and they're deeply uncomfortable stories about ways that they have been profiled or, you know, followed by police or treated by, you know, authority figures. And, uh, yeah, it's difficult to read, but it's necessary. It's necessary mm-hmm. to read through it. Yeah. That's actually really, that's actually a really good analogy. I think, um, to, to think about some of the kind of disturbing language you'll find in the prophets and say like, look, we have a whole bunch of our, of kind of disturbing stories that I think if we're going to get somewhere uh, more just in society, we have to take time to listen to those stories and most especially the ones that are really disturbing. Thanks for listening to this conversation and particular thanks to Michael for being such a valuable resource. As we discussed towards the end of this episode, the language and imagery of the prophets can be difficult to read at times and can cause fear and frustration when we read the Bible. And that's especially true of certain passages in Ezekiel and Hosea. In an upcoming interview, McGray and I discuss an approach to difficult passages like Ezekiel and Hosea and some of the other prophets. So stay tuned for that episode coming early next month. We're still worshiping online Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. And you can join us on Facebook or at hydeparkumc.org forward slash live. You can also connect with us on Facebook, search for The Bible Project 2020 and request to join. Monica Largesse edited this episode. I'm Matt Hotho. I'll see you next week.